0: Welcome back to the show. Before we get into a little talk about Advent, let me talk to you about where I'm going to be January 23rd through January 25th. I'm going to be in the great state of Texas down in Houston, learning about the Paschal Mystery, where we're going to find ourselves within the cycle of life, death, and resurrection, and allowing God to lead us into the next step of wholeness, mission and Christ likeness. This is the pastor's priest and guides retreat brought to you by our friend, Aaron Nequist. It is an event I was already going to. And Aaron's like, Hey, would you tell your listeners about it? And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to, uh, you're going to hear from Aaron Nequist and his wife, Shauna Nequist, along with other friends of the show, Sean Palmer and father Ronald Rollheiser, Father Rollheiser has been on the podcast a handful of times, and I absolutely love this guy. He is someone that, like, people know Roar. I feel like people don't know Rollheiser to the degree in which they should. I mean, his teaching is just really brilliant. I've never actually been in the same room as him, so I am excited to hear from him along with, uh, we have uh, a couple other guides that are going to be there. Uh, people don't know. I got named Drew Jackson and Laurie Schultz, I think that's how you pronounce her name, but uh, i 'm excited to hear from them as well. Look forward to learning about what they 're teaching. But uh, I hope you join me for this retreat. It is an event that I'm pretty pumped about, and I hope to see you all there now onto the podcast for episode five hundred and twenty nine This is another sermon about advent did i Did I say that the episode number it is five hundred and twenty nine That is a lot of episodes a lot of conversations a lot of opportunities to 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 learn from some really amazing people and i'm excited y'all have been a part of the ride for this long uh you know this is a sermon i did from uh, revelation 12 i've been pretty pumped about doing this and i hope uh y'all enjoy it i appreciate the feedback um got a great shout out um Shout out. I got a, a story that someone who listened to the sermon sent me that I'm actually going to use in my sermon this upcoming Sunday. So I appreciate the feedback on the podcast, uh, even when it's just a sermon. So I appreciate y'all uh, like trying something different and being cool with uh, some of these different formats, which are sometimes I just do a sermon and that's what this is. And so uh, check it out. And I think I'm going to do one more um, for Christmas. And then we, we've, got, um, we've got interviews coming in um in january recorded a good one a couple days ago that i think you're gonna really like um (laughs) it's uh it's a podcast with a guy who i've actually stayed in his house but i've never actually met him before yes think about that for a second i've stayed in his house but i've never met him before until the podcast which uh, i'll release that one in january and um yeah look forward to those but without further ado here's a homily on advent dragons let's go Well, if you have a Bible, would you please turn to Revelation chapter 12? That is where we're going to be this morning, Revelation chapter 12. Thank you for being with us today. Glad to see each and every one of you here. Uh, Before we jump into the sermon, I want to tell you about something that we are very excited to start in January, the first Wednesday of January, January 4th. We're going to start the year off with something very special. Uh, John tells us in John's gospel, in the beginning was the word. And one of the things that we're going to do next year is begin our year with the word. So starting Wednesday night, January 4th at 7 p.m., we're going to read through the entire Bible from Genesis through Revelation in here. Now, that's a lot of chapters. If you're keeping track at home, I believe it's 1,189 chapters. And we think it's going to take probably about 60 hours to do it. And we're going to get everyone who's physically able to come up here and sign up for an hour slot to read through for one hour the Bible. And so I'm going to start with Genesis Wednesday night, and at 8 p.m., someone else will start wherever I stop reading Genesis, and we will go on for what we estimate to be roughly 60 hours or so. Uh, We've seen estimates of anything between 52 and 70 hours. I think it takes Baptist about 70, so we can beat that. But the heart of what we're trying to do is to begin the foundation of the year on what we believe is foundational. And there's nothing more foundational to us as followers of Christ than to hear the Word of God. And we're not just going to stand up on Sunday morning for a few minutes as we hear the Word of God proclaimed, but part of what we're trying to do is sit underneath the Word of God for the entire year. And so this is going to be a practice for us as a church to read through the Bible starting Wednesday, January 4th, and it'll probably go to sometime early Saturday morning. So we'll give you more information about how to sign up, but please prayerfully consider how you can participate in that. All right? Uh, Second thing, we are in a season known as Advent. It's a season in which we remember what happened 2,000 years ago at the birth of Jesus, but we also anticipate the second Advent. We remember the first Advent or arrival of Jesus when Jesus was born, but we also anticipate that Jesus will return again. So this is a season not just of looking backwards, but a season of looking forward. And so we've been in this for a few weeks. Last week we talked about it, kind of. Had a little bit of throat problems. Sorry about that, y'all. Um, it was a rough one for all of us. I appreciate everyone who was coughing during the sermon in support for me. Thank you. <laughs> I'm also appreciative of everyone who came up with uh, suggestions for how to cure my throat problem. Uh, Yeah, cough cough drops, throat lozenges. Someone suggested whiskey. I'm old enough to remember where we didn't encourage preachers to drink whiskey during church, but hey, things are different now, I guess. (laughs) But thank you most of all for your support. Uh, The irony is that I actually was sick two weeks ago. Last Sunday, I didn't feel bad. But in a sermon in which I was trying to articulate that fear and sin and darkness is in many ways the wrathful thrashing of an already caught serpent. I was dealing with the consequences of an already defeated cold that was in the consequences of my throat not working. So, you know, there's that. But nevertheless, hopefully we're better today. If not, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get through this somehow. Uh, all right. So our text is Revelation 12. And we're talking about something today that we struggle to talk about in our culture. We we struggle to actually accurately talk about evil and sin. It's it's hard to talk about evil in our culture. We we seem to be at a loss for words. We'll talk about sinful sweets and decadent chocolate, but we're kind of at a loss when it comes to actually talking about evil. And part of the reason that we struggle to talk about it is the words we often use and the images and the stories we tell send very mixed messages, right? Like, take a look at uh, this movie. How many of you saw Minions, The Rise of Gru? Anyone in here? Okay, a few people. This was the fourth most popular movie of 2022. It grossed over $900 million at the box office. This was one of the most successful movies of 2022. And the storyline is kind of confusing, Because the storyline in this movie is about the rise of a 12-year-old who wants to be the world's greatest supervillain. And so you're watching this with your kids going, who's the bad guy? And you're like, well, we're kind of rooting for the bad guy. And sometimes it's in humorous kids' stories, but it's also in the stories you and I have been watching on TV for years. Stories like Breaking Bad or... Mozart or the Sopranos all these are shows in which you have an anti-hero that many people find themselves going Yeah, I hope the drug dealer makes it out. Okay at the end (laughs) That doesn't seem right. It's almost as if we've over indexed the bad guy And so we're at a loss for how to actually talk about what truly is bad and what is truly evil Uh, There's a professor at Columbia University who wrote a book about how we struggle to talk about evil in our culture. And the book is entitled, The Death of Satan. And here's a quote from the book. He says, A gulf has opened up in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources we have for coping with it. Right? Doesn't that kind of make sense? Like, we see evil all around us, but there seems to be an absence ...of intellectual resources to describe what evil actually is. We're missing something. The year was 1945. Nazi Germany had been defeated. World War II had come to an end. And so there was a gentleman named Adolf Eichmann... ...who was tasked with facilitating and managing... ...the deportation of millions of people during the Holocaust... And in 1945, he was caught, along with many other Nazi officials, but he broke free from the forces, and for about five years, he was living free in a part of German Lower Saxony. There for five years, kind of under the radar, hiding. Five years after he was caught the first time, he fled the country, went down to Argentina using fake papers, where he lived for another ten years. And so in 1960, they they found Adolf Eichmann down in Argentina, and they brought him back to the recently formed nation state of Israel, where he stood on trial for war crimes of 15 criminal acts that he participated and committed during the Holocaust. And there was a book about this situation called Eichmann in Jerusalem, uh, written by a man named Hannah Arnett. And, excuse me, a woman named Hannah Arnett. And Hannah Arnett describes how when they caught this guy and they bring him back to Jerusalem, where he stands on trial for 15 war crimes, what everyone was expecting wasn't what they saw. One of the masterminds behind a central part of the Holocaust was this guy, but what everyone saw was not what they were expecting. When Eichmann is on trial, they had victims of the Holocaust... In court to testify against Eichmann. And when Eichmann shows up and the victims are there about to testify against Eichmann, one of the victims just breaks down to the extent that they had to, to stop the courtroom events, dismiss everyone. And when asked what was so disturbing, they asked was this bringing up horrendous memories or horrifying fear? What, what was it? And the Jewish person said, actually, when I saw Eichmann, when I saw Adolf Eichmann, what was so unnerving and upsetting to me is what I saw wasn't a monster after all. I, I just saw a guy who was responsible for managing logistics. And he didn't look like a monster. He looked just like a normal person because there is a gulf that exists in our world between the visibility of evil evil and the intellectual resources we have for talking about it where well, we don't know what to do we don't know how to describe evil we're at a loss for words j r tolkien said this it does not do to not include in your calculations a dragon if he lives near you. It doesn't do to leave out of your calculations a dragon if you live near him. And In a culture that has lost the intellectual resources to talk about evil, it's probably because we've no longer had the ability to talk about the dragon. We don't have it anymore. And so we'll talk about decadent Chocolate or sinful sweets and we'll watch movies that are over-indexed with anti-heroes because we've we've lost the language to describe what we know to be true about evil in genesis 3 we have the introduction to evil here's what scripture says now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the lord had made and he said to the woman Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The serpent goes up to the woman and says, Did God really say to you what you think God said to you? And this serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal. More crafty than anything else. And there will be plenty of debates about what exactly took place in the garden We'll get lost in debates about, is this literal or is this metaphorical? But what no one can debate is if this is an accurate depiction of the human predicament. You can debate words all you want, but you can't debate that this is the reality that everyone has experienced. Because this is an accurate depiction of the human predicament where there is a voice, a crafty voice, that will come up to you and say do you really need to refrain from that? Because is anyone actually getting hurt? Is this really that bad? I know you've been told that you shouldn't do this, but is there really that big of a consequence if you do this? No one can debate how accurate that is to the human predicament, because we all know that's what we've experienced. But when it comes to evil, we don't often talk like that. We don't talk about this crafty presence that's pulling us away from what God says for us to do. We don't talk like that. Unfortunately, often what we talk about when we talk about evil in church is you want to refrain from doing evil because God's going to get mad at you if you do commit evil. And when we talk about evil, what we often talk about is how God gets upset at us and God's feelings, and that's what Jesus needs to solve when it comes to evil. Where big brother Jesus makes sure that God isn't angry at us anymore for committing evil. And so the conversation isn't about the crafty serpent which deceives us, but instead it's about how God's feelings are when we commit evil. Let me illustrate it this way. When I was in middle school and high school, I lived in the mid-Ohio Valley. We lived right next to the Ohio River. My dad worked at a university which meant his summer times were very flexible. And so we had this little fish and ski boat that we would often go out on the Ohio River, which meant as a kid, I absolutely loved going on the Ohio River. And one of the things that was neat about the Ohio River, the place specifically where we lived, which is right next to a couple uh, major factories for Shell and DuPont, is that occasionally we'd be on the Ohio River and the Ohio River would magically be on fire. (laughs) Now, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, this is magic, this is awesome. Now, as an adult, 25 years later, I think it's magic and it's awesome that my daughters were not born with an extra eye or gills on their neck. There was a study by NBC that came out in 2020 that said the Ohio River was the most polluted river in all of the country. And in 2022, there were 40 million tons of toxic substance dumped in the Ohio River and tributaries that led into the Ohio River. Imagine a parent being upset at their kid saying, Do not get into a contaminated river because it's bad for you. We can imagine that. As a parent, you would probably say that my parents didn't, but we can imagine now we would say that. But imagine a parent being more upset about a kid getting into a contaminated river than a parent being upset at the one who contaminated the river in the first place. Does that make sense? Often we get to the idea that we think God is more upset for us participating in polluted and contaminated ways of understanding sex and money and our words and our fear than we are in thinking that God is more upset that there is one that has contaminated money and sex and power and words and fear and shame. When God's biggest enemy is not the children who participate in this, but the one who created the toxicity in the first place. And when you get to Revelation 12, you see the real enemy that God is after and the real one that God is trying to overcome. It's not God's own feelings that are needing to be overcome. It's the one that introduced evil in the first place. And so like Danny said before, we've been reading through Revelation 12 and it's a complicated text. You have a woman and a baby and a dragon You have all these over the top images And so it's easy to get lost in those But go along for the ride Because there is a bigger picture That is being painted with these words And so if you are physically able Would you please stand for the reading of God's word From Revelation 12 Starting in verse 1 uh, By the way this word portent it's, it, it's a word that describes how what happens in heaven and earth Are connected Okay, It's a weird word that most of us haven't ever used before The word of the Lord A great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. Then another portent appeared in heaven, a great red dragon, with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman, who was about to bear a child, so that he might devour her child as soon as it was born. And she gave birth to a son, a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was snatched away and taken to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, so that there she can be nourished for 1,260 days." And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. This is the cosmic perspective on Christmas. And so what the angels see, they don't see a little cute couple in Palestine, unable to find a place to sleep for the night. What the angels don't see are are shepherds and magi. What they don't see is a baby in a food truck. What they see is this cosmic battle that's going on where there is good and there is evil. There is light, there is darkness, there is life and there is death. And there is a dragon. And one of the reasons that Scripture will tell us that our battle is not against flesh and blood is because God's battle is not against flesh and blood. But God's battle is against this dragon, this serpent, this force of evil. And when God decides to destroy and to take down evil and darkness in a dragon, God's answer is the most unexpected. It's a baby, right? I don't know if any of you ever remember when you were a baby, but you couldn't do that much, right? Like you couldn't stand up, you couldn't walk, you couldn't talk. Of all the mammals on the earth, it seems that human babies might be the most, I don't know, vulnerable of all babies. A giraffe within an hour of being born can stand up. If your child at eight months can stand up and take a step, you think they're getting a scholarship to UT. (laughs) A a giraffe within a day can flee from predators. Y'all can't do that. I'm just going to be real honest. Your baby, no matter how cute and smart it is, can't do that within a day. God picks a baby. Like the human baby is the most vulnerable of almost all mammals. Being that we are viviparous mammals means that our brains are barely even 40% formed when we give birth to them. And by we, I don't mean me. And it takes until a child is 25 years old for the brain to be fully formed. The human baby is some of the most vulnerable of all things on this planet. But God says, my solution to defeat evil, to destroy this dragon, is a baby. But if you know the story of God, it just kind of makes sense. Over and over again, God picks the most unexpected and unlikely of sources of salvation. When God said, I'm going to pick a family to bless the entire world through, he picks Abram and Sarah, who are far past retirement years, and says, you are going to have a family even though you have no kids. When God tells Joshua, you're going to destroy the town of Jericho, they don't like set explosives at the foundation of the wall They don't begin this military scheme for how they're going to get over the wall. Instead, they just go on a fun run around the city seven times. When God tells Gideon to take down his enemies of 32,000 enemies who are lined up against him, God says, Gideon, I want you to shrink your army down to 300. Because for as crafty as the serpent and evil is, and we all know it's crafty, God seems extremely simplistic. For as crafty as evil seems, the way of God seems overly simplistic. When the baby that's freeing the world eventually grows up and he begins his teaching ministry, he says this, if someone forces you to carry their pack for a mile, this is your response. Go two miles. If someone's going to slap you on one cheek, this is what you do. This is your solution. You turn and give them the other cheek. If, if your enemies come against you, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray for them. If someone wrongs you, I want you to forgive them. For as crafty as the serpent is and as crafty as the voice of evil always appears to be in our ears, the voice of God seems overly simplistic. It's like a baby against a dragon. It just it doesn't make sense. A few weeks ago, I saw this horrendous video that a public Christian figure tweeted out. And the video was what appeared to be a high school cafeteria that had broken out into an all-out brawl. People were fighting all over the screen. And this public Christian figure tweeted this video out, and his caption was, This is not a time for turning the other cheek. Oh, interesting. For someone who presents himself as a public Christian, this person's response to violence was, the words of Jesus seem too simplistic. It's too simplistic. The the same person, I kind of got in a deep dive on this person real quick, shared another video. It's a video of a father who had just lost his son to some form of senseless violence. Someone shot and killed His son. And this person, who also was a Christian, is being interviewed the day after. And he expresses the words of Jesus when he says, I have already forgiven the person who killed my son. He says, I already forgive them. I don't don't know their story. I don't know what's behind them. But I believe Jesus wants me to forgive them, so I choose to forgive them. And this public Christian figure said, This man is just. Afraid. This is not what masculinity looks like. Because for as crafty as evil in a serpent is, the words of God seem overly simplistic. They seem infantile. But of course they are. Because God believes an infant can defeat a dragon. In the civil rights movement. There was a little girl named Ruby Bridges, who's still alive today. But when she was a little girl, she actively went against the powers and principalities of this age that were presented in the form of racism and hatred. And she stood up against them by being a little girl who just walked into school. And it seemed simplistic, but it was the way of Jesus. Jesus. Rosa Parks was 42 years old when she sat on a bus and didn't move. It seems simplistic, but it's the way the baby that can defeat the dragon. One of my friends, Suzanne Stabile, who's an Enneagram teacher, taught me this piece of wisdom when she said, the type of thinking that causes a problem is never going to be the type of thinking that solves a problem. And in a world that is used to the type of thinking of the crafty serpent, of course, trying to be crafty back to evil is never going to solve it. In a world in which there is a dragon, it doesn't do anyone good to have in your calculations no space for a dragon. But the way of Jesus says the way that you defeat the dragon is you choose the way of the baby, the way of love the way of light in a world of darkness, the way of forgiveness in a world of retribution. You choose the way of the baby in a world that has chosen the way of the dragon. And so this is what we're talking about during Christmas. And it seems like, shouldn't we be just talking about like, you know, the shepherds and the magi and and like a little baby in a food truck? That seems far more Christmassy, doesn't it? Like a dragon and evil in darkness seems like a tough text this time of year. But the story of Christmas isn't just about a cute teenage couple who's scared and trying to figure out where to give birth to this baby. It's a story about light versus darkness. A story of good versus evil. And it doesn't make sense in a world that's used to the crafty voice of the enemy. All right, let me tell you a story. Um, just go with me on this one. About six years ago... Uh, I was in my Thursday focus group where I go through a rough draft of my sermon and have different different members of the church kind of come in and just give me feedback every week. And so I, I, I'm there six years ago. I'm talking through the sermon, and, uh, and and at some point this woman, who I'm not going to mention her name, I'm going to keep her uh, identity private, she tells me out of nowhere, she says, whenever I read a novel, the way I read a novel is I read the very last couple pages first, I read the ending of the book, and then I go back and I read the beginning, to which I go, that sounds like something a serial killer would do. Now, I'm not saying she is a serial I'm just saying, like, statistically, a lot of serial killers probably do that kind of stuff. <laughs> She now emails me and signs it PSK, Potential Serial Killer. So I appreciate that. Also, if I'm ever missing, check her alibi. She's in my lunch group on Thursday, and this is six years after we have this kind of running joke. And I finish this sermon, and she says, you know what I think? I think it's good to know the ending of a story. And you know what? She's exactly right. That's the point of revelation. In a world in which you're told to choose the way of a baby and it doesn't always work, it seems like turning the other cheek is for a different time and place. In a world in which it seems that forgiving those who've wronged makes no sense, you do this for one reason alone. Not because it makes sense to you, but because you know how the story ends. And the book of Revelation can be summed up very simply good versus evil. Happens. In the end, God and good win. So pick a side and don't be foolish. And for those of us in this room who are exhausted because you're trying to choose the way of the baby in a world that's so accustomed to the way of the dragon, don't forget the end of the story. Don't forget the end of the story. But also don't continue to choose the way of the dragon. Let me, let me channel my, my river metaphor through the words of Paul from Romans 7. Just because God can continue to wash the contamination off you, and just because God can continue to wipe the pollution away from you, doesn't mean you keep on jumping in the contaminated river. May you continue to sin just so that God's cleansing abilities may abound. No, don't do that. You're missing the point. Because the longer you continue to choose the way of the dragon, it tears up your soul. And if you stay in the contaminated water long enough, life will be taken from you. Pollution has a consequence on every one of us. And if you continue to choose this way, it will destroy you. So choose the other way. The Bible seems to give very little attention to how evil is created. The backstory for evil seems to be something that the Bible doesn't give much at all in terms of words about. But it gives a lot about how it's solved. And if I had to guess, most of us in here don't really have a great deal of need to know how evil exists in the world or or where it came from. But what we want to know is how do we get evil out of us? How How do we get rid of the fear we have of the future? The shame that we have from the past, The resentment for people who have let us down and our own propensity to let other people down. We want to know how we can get rid of that. And I think the answer is, you continue to choose the way the baby. John Calvin once said that the journey to find God and the journey to find our truest self are one and the same. If you want to figure out who God created you to be and you want to figure out who God is, they're actually the same thing. Because you figure out who God is then you figure out who God created you to be. One of the affirmations that I remind myself of almost on a daily basis is this. That it is love that created the world. It is love that sustains the world. And one day it is love that will redeem the world because God is love and every choice that I make to align myself with the way of love leads me not just closer to God, but also closer to who God created me to be. Because love is the answer and God is love. And so in a world in which it seems the crafty voice of the serpent is saying, come over here. We remember that that is the way of contamination that leads to death, but there is a way of the baby that leads to life. Now you remember to choose the way of life. And when you do, there is, there is life. This is how the psalmist says in Psalm 145. Happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Happy are those who choose the way of the baby, whose help is the Lord, whose hope is the Lord, because God is the one who is redeeming all things. And so during this Advent season, may we not just remember what happened 2,000 years ago, but may we remember the end of the story, that the dragon is defeated, that the crafty serpent is finally put to bed, and one day God will redeem all things. So in the here, in the now, may you continue to make decisions that choose the way of God in the world is surrounded by the way of the dragon. Let's pray. God, would you remind us of who you are? That you are the one who sustains and redeems all things. That you are making all things new. That one day, because of the victory that we have in Jesus, that you will redeem all things Finally. And remove all mourning, all tears, and all death as you set this world back to rights.